They're like running over each other to get out there. Well, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 89 this morning. If you want to follow along in your Bible or on the YouVersion app. And uh, while you're making your way to Psalm 89, uh, we are continuing our series this morning uh, titled Being Honest with God, to look at a, a selection of different psalms. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed about this and, and spending a lot of time in the psalms over the last several months uh, reading through it just as we were getting ready to start this series is I just love how real psalms is and just kind of how raw the book of psalms is and, and you you see so many examples of people who are just being real being raw about their emotions being uh real with god about the things they're thinking and the things they're feeling we've we've read about you know david and, and confession and and just how heartbroken he was how uh just how sad just how uh, messed up he was by his mistake, his his sin. We've seen uh, people cry out to God and help, knowing God, you've helped me before, and I know you're going to help me again. And and I just I don't want to have to cry out for help, but I'm in this situation, and God, I know you'll take care of me. We've we've read examples of of you know people just saying, God, why in the world does it seem like those who uh, don't believe in you, get to have everything, and here I am, and I'm experiencing suffering, and every day it's waking up into a new difficulty, and, you know, realizing what he had, and God was so much better than what the world has, and it, it's just so many examples of, of people being real, and then we've got examples of people who just, all we can do is praise God. All we can do is thank God for what he has done for us and, and all the ways that he's shown his love for us. And, and I can't help but sing. I can't help but praise you. I can't help but uh, proclaim you. It, it's just raw and it's real. And I love that about the book of Psalms. And then we get to Psalm 89. And Psalm 89 is a very fascinating psalm. And it's a, a very interesting written psalm. And it, it comes from a guy named Ethan the Ezraite. And we read a little bit about Ethan the Ezraite in First Chronicles and First Kings, and we see that he is a wise man. But not only is he a wise man, he's also a disappointed man. He's frustrated at the situation he finds himself in. He's upset at the situation he finds himself in, and he's asking questions about why are we in the situation we're in. But then he approaches God almost like a lawyer who approaches a judge or a jury and he lays out for, for God, here's all of these things, God. Here's, here's the basis of my argument. Here's the thing I'm arguing for. Here's the reasons why I believe that you will do what you have said you would do. Here's uh, my frustration. All of this, he pours it out like a lawyer. And in doing so, as he's pouring all this out, before God, we get to read it and we get to see what he's, he's thinking. We get to see what he's going through. We get to see what he's saying to God. And there's a lesson for us to be learned here this morning. Something that we forget because just like Ethan the Ezraite, sometimes we get upset with the situations that we are in. We get frustrated with our situation in life and we start to wonder, God, what's going on here? You've, you've promised good things and yet I feel as though life is just too difficult, life is just too hard 
And sometimes we start to wonder, is God still there? Is God still there? Is he still here with me? Is he still here uh, in my life? Or has he just packed up his bags and said, I'm gone, I'm out? Well, I think that's a little bit of what Ethan is feeling in this psalm, and yet he learns, and what he does with that feeling, with those thoughts, are just a great example to us. And so we're going to start in Psalm 89 in the first four verses, and especially verse 1 and 2. And this is what it says. It says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven, in, or heaven itself. And so we see here right at the beginning that Ethan the Ezraite is going to lay out the baseline for everything he's about to say. He's going to go before God with the understanding, that, with the petition, with the uh, acknowledging God's love and God's faithfulness. God's love stands forever. God's faithfulness has been established. And so he's going to use this as the baseline. He's going to appeal to God's love, to God's faithfulness, and what he's about to say in the rest of this psalm. And this is a phrase, or these are two things that we're going to see a lot of. God's love, God's faithfulness. It's repeated throughout this psalm. Is, again, it's something that he's going to continually go back to as he makes his appeal. And so what is he making his appeal about? Well, in verse 3 and 4, it tells us, it says, You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. Ethan here is talking about the covenant that God has set up with King David that... that This would be an important thing. And so what is this covenant exactly? Well, it tells us in 2 Samuel 7, verses 11 through 16. It says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever." And so this is the thing that Ethan is saying. Hey, you made this covenant with David. You made this promise with David that his kingdom, his uh, throne, it would reign forever. You won't remove his offspring from the throne. They will maintain this forever. And so the baseline is God's love, God's faithfulness. The thing he's making his appeal about is this covenant that has been established with David. And so now in verses 5 through 18... He's going to lay out the reasons why he believes that God will maintain his promise and do what he has said. And so it starts, or we'll start in verses 5 through 8, and it says this, The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. 
He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. And so he starts in verse 5, the heavens praise you. The heavens praise you, and that's exactly what they do. The heavens praise God. The heavens declare the praise of God. And it tells us this in Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The heavens speak to who God is. Then he goes on in verse 6. There is nobody in the heavens like God. In the heavens, in the heavenly realms, there is nobody else like God. God is incomparable. There is nobody else like him. You can search and search and search, and you are never going to be able to find anyone who is like God. There is nobody else like God. He is one and only. He is awesome. He is God. Psalm 71, 19 says, Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, who is like you, God? Psalm 77, 13, Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? Psalm 113, verse 5, Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? There is nobody else like God. And all, all these false idols, all these false gods in Scripture, what happens to them? They fall before the one and only God, the Lord Almighty. There is nobody else like God. What else here? We see that God is mighty and his faithfulness is seen all around. We serve a mighty God. Our Lord, our God is mighty, and his faithfulness to us, his faithfulness to his people is seen all around us. Deuteronomy 10:17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Our God is praised by the heavens, and the heavens declare God. There's nobody else like our God. He is incomparable. He is one and only. He is mighty, and his faithfulness surrounds us surrounds him everything everywhere we look we see the faithfulness of god then in verses 9 and 10 it says this you rule over the surging sea when its waves mount up you still them you crush rahab like one of the slain with your strong arm you scattered your enemies he's the lord of the raging sea he can make the waves giant and in a moment and a word he can calm the raging sea. How powerful is God? He is the Lord of the raging seas. In Psalm 107, 29 through 30, it says, He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad that it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Man, God can still, he can cause the waves to rise up, and he can, and in the same breath, cause them to be still. And it says, you crushed Rahab like one of the slain. And when we think of Rahab, who do we think of? We often think of Rahab, the one who helped the spies. But also in, their, in this 
time period in their day and age. Rahab was also known as a mythological sea creature. And this uh, sea creature was sometimes used in the scripture or in scriptures with the imagery of Rahab, a monster of chaos. And it was often used as a derogatory representation of Egypt. And it would make sense because we see this uh, played out in Scripture. In Isaiah 37, it says, To Egypt, whose help is utterly useless, therefore I call her Rahab to do nothing. Isaiah 51.9, it says, Awake, awake, arm of the Lord, clothe yourself with strength. Awake as in days gone by, as in generations of old. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced the monster through? And this would make sense because we know that God defeated Egypt, brought his people out of Egypt. Then he continues on in verses 11 through 14. says, The heavens are yours, and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south. Tabor and Hermon sing for joy at your name. Your arm is endowed with power. Your right hand is strong. Your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. The universe and everything in it belongs to God. He created it. He put it together. Every single thing you see around you, the trees, the dirt, all of the things that you see around you, God created it. He put it into existence. He created it. It has its being because of God. And He created it all and it is for Him. It's for him. Colossians 1.16 For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Psalm 121, verse 2, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He is creator God. Everything that is in its place, every one of us this morning who is here with breath, we have been created by God, all of us. God is creator, maker of all. He's strong. He's strong. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He has strength in his hand and his right hand is exalted. And this is something we read a lot about in Psalms, a phrase that comes up is the right hand of God. There's a lot of different uh, people speculating why does this phrase get used a lot. Some people say his right hand, it means it's the opposite of, uh, you know, the opposite of right is wrong, and so his right hand is exalted. Whatever the reason, we know that his right hand is exalted. Psalm 17, 7, show me the wonders of great love. You who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. Psalm 18, 35, you make your saving help my shield and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. He's strong. But not only is he strong, we also see that he is righteous. He is just. He is full of love and faithfulness. His character backs his promises. The character of God backs up all of the promises that he makes. He is righteous, he is just, and he is loving. Psalm 11:7 says, For the Lord is righteous, he loves justice, the upright will see his face. Deuteronomy 32, 34 says, He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. 
1 John 4, 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. He is righteous. He is just. He is love. And he is faithful. And he is strong, too. And I love what writer J.A. Moiter says about this section of Psalm 89. He says, strong, righteousness, love. If we could deny any one of these three, every problem of suffering would be logically explicable. We could say God is strong and righteous in all he does, but he is not always loving. Or he is righteous and loving, but not always strong enough to do what he wants. Or he is loving and strong, but not always righteous. But since he is always all three together, and every act of God is full of his almighty strength, holy righteousness, and changeless love, we face life with faith rather than with explanations, with trust in him, rather than reliance on our own logic. The character of God backs his promises. And so we know that because of who God is, we know that when he speaks, we know that when he makes promises, we know that when he says he is going to do something, he will deliver. More about that here in just a little bit. Verses 15 through 18, he says, Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness, for you are their glory and strength, and by your favor you exalt our horn. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our king to the Holy One of Israel. And this kind of ties in with what we talked about last week a little bit being in the presence of God, and there's no better place to be in the presence of God. And those who walk with him find blessings in him, right? A blessing of uh, God's strength poured out. We see the, the blessing of God's protection in our lives. It's better to be in the presence of God than to be out of the presence of God. And blessed are those who walk with him. And so, Ethan the Ezraite has laid out, God, your love and your faithfulness is above all. And then he lays out, God, here's the promise you made with David. And then through verses 5 through 18, he lays out, here are all the reasons, God, that I have to believe that you are going to follow through and do everything that you said you would do. And then he goes into verses 19 through 37, and he's going to reiterate the promise. And he says, in verses 19 through uh, 37, he says, Once you spoke in a vision to your faithful people, you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have raised up a young man from among the people. I have found David my servant. With my sacred oil, I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. The enemy will not get the better of him. The wicked will not oppress him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him, and through my name his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me, You are my Father, my God, the Rock, my Savior. And I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, or statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sins with the rod, 
their iniquity with flogging, that I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David that his line will continue forever and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. And so, love, faithfulness, here's the promise. Here's all the reasons that I believe you will fulfill your promise to David. Then he reiterates the promise. Here's the promise that you've made to him. You will strengthen him. You will give him boldness. When, when he goes against his enemies, you will, you will destroy his enemies. Everything you will give him. And when uh, his line acts up, when they mess up, God, you will punish them. But guess what? You are also not going to remove from them this promise. It's established. It's strong. It's not going to go anywhere. But then... But then we come to verses 38 through 52. And verses 38 through 45, it says this. It says, but you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant, and you have defiled his crown in the dust. You have broken through all his walls and reduced his strongholds to ruins. All who pass by have plundered him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. Indeed, you have turned back the edge of his sword and have not supported him in battle. You have put an end to his splendor and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with a mantle of shame. See, all of a sudden, things go south just like that. All of a sudden, things are not going well for the king. He's being beat. His enemies are breaking him down. Many believe that this is talking about the Babylonian exile, the fall of Jerusalem. It doesn't say, but that's what many believe. This is what he's referring to. Jerusalem has fallen. The king has fallen. And he's saying, God, you've renounced the covenant. You've had to. All of a sudden, his walls are being broke down. The king is being beat down. Everything is going wrong. What is going on here? You've strengthened the enemies. His throne has fallen. He's no longer on the throne. God, you have some explaining to do. You have removed your king. You have renounced this covenant. You have broken your promise. He's frustrated. He's wondering, what is going on here, God? You made this agreement. You made this promise. And so he continues in verses 46 through 49. And he says, How long, Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life for what futility you have created all humanity. Who can live and not see death or who can escape the power of the grave? Lord, where is your former great love where, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? So we see here the beginning of what seems to be two prayers that take place. The first is a, a prayer of action. He's asking God to step in, to do something, to take action. He's wondering, God, how long are you going to hide your face? How long are you going to keep us in this situation? When are you going to step in? Where's this love that you once had? Where was this faithfulness that you once had to your king, to your anointed one? 
God, move again. Come out of hiding. Come and help. Then in verses 50 through 52, he says this. Remember, Lord, how your servant has been mocked, how I bear in my heart the taunts of all the nation, the taunts with which your enemies, Lord, have mocked, with which they have mocked every step of your anointed one. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. His second prayer here, it's a call to remember his people. A call to remember his people. Think about this for a second. If they are in captivity, think of the mocking they would have received the day Jerusalem fell. And if they're in captivity, think about the mockery he probably faces every single day. Man, your nation has fallen. This promise has fallen. There's nothing you can do about it. And I love what Ethan does here. I love what he does here. He takes his frustration, he takes his disappointment, and he turns them into prayer. No, he's not happy about the situation he's in. He's a little bit frustrated with the place he finds himself in. He's wondering what God is doing. He's a little bit upset with the fact that it seems God has abandoned him. But yet in this, he turns his disappointment into prayer. And he says, God, please do something. Remember, or take action and remember your people, please. And he ends with, praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. It makes me think how, what do we do with our frustration? What do we do with our disappointment and anger? If we were to be completely honest, most of the time when we're angry with God, that's what we say. It was just, God, why in the world are you doing this? You've turned your back on me. Life is hard. Uh, things are going rough. God, you're just... How often do we turn our disappointments and our frustration into prayer? Not often, if we were to be honest. And so, this morning, as we look at Psalm 89, I think the, I think the thing that we need to focus on here is the thing in which Ethan the Ezraite used to make his appeal, and it's this. God's love and his faithfulness endure. God's love and his faithfulness endure. They do. They endure today. His faithfulness and love has been proven time and time again. Over and over and over again, God's love, God's faithfulness has been proven to endure. But what about when things are going wrong? We often think about the difficulties, the trials we face in life as a sign that we must not be close to God and that God has just rejected us. God has moved on from us. God is somewhere else. He is not to be found in our presence. We take our hard times as a sign that God doesn't want to be around us. That is love and his faithfulness are gone. But here's the thing, just because it may feel like he isn't working, that he isn't near, does not mean he isn't moving and working in our lives. It doesn't mean that his love and faithfulness are gone from us. J.A. Moiter again sums this up really well. He says, in a word, the promises had not failed, but human understanding of God's time scale and of the complexity of his world rule was not sufficient to keep step with what he was doing. So it is for us. The promises never fail. 
though seeming, er, though seeming delay makes some lapse into doubt. And it is not just the great promise of his coming, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. The promises cannot fail, though our expectations may at any moment be blighted. At such a time, like the psalmist, we must turn the promises into song and the disappointments into prayer. I love what he says there, because I think what he's, what he's saying is this. It's, it's not that the promises fail, it's just that our expectations fail. Our expectations are what fall short. You see, we have all these lofty expectations of what we think our life should be and what God's moving in our life should look like. And we believe that if things don't turn out the way we think they should, if God doesn't move the way we think he should, then God just casts us to the side. But you see, God doesn't always work by our timetable. God doesn't always work by our expectations. And that does not mean that he is not faithful or that his love is gone. And here's the thing. Ethan might have been thinking in Psalm 89, God had revoked the promise. Ethan might be thinking that God turned his back on him. Ethan might be thinking that the, king, or the kingdom was over. It would never reign again. He might be thinking that God just wasn't there for him, that God's love and faithfulness was gone. But here's the thing. Even though in that moment it felt for Ethan that God revoked the covenant, that God's promise was gone, he didn't realize what was coming. No, he didn't realize that something was coming. Someone was coming, a tender shoot. Isaiah 53, 2, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Oh, and this one who was coming, guess what? He was a divine son of David. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And not only would he come as a tender shoot, not only would he be a divine son of David, no, he would reign in victory. Isaiah 9, verses 4 and 5, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in the blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And not only that, but he will come and he will reign in righteousness. 11, or Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 5. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his root, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide with what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. 
Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And guess what? He will come and he will reign forever. Luke chapter 1, 31 through 33. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Ethan might have thought, God, you have canceled your covenant. You have canceled your promise. Little did he realize somebody who would be coming soon, and that is Jesus Christ. And he would fulfill this covenant, this promise that was made with David. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as the worship team comes up, if you need any proof of God's love, if you need any proof that God is faithful... I would challenge you to do this. Look at his son. Look at Jesus Christ. Read about the ministry, the life of Jesus Christ. Read about what it was he came and what he did. His sacrifice, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed, his resurrection from the grave. If you need examples of God's love and God's faithfulness, look to his son. He sent his son into this world to die for our sins so that we can be forgiven. And guess what? Trials will come. Trials are going to come. Life will not always be easy. If you think that life will always be easy, I got bad news for you. Trials and difficulties will come. But in those trials, in those difficulties, in those moments when you feel like you are all alone, realize this, God's love and faithfulness endures. He is there with you through everything. And maybe you're here this morning and you have not accepted him into your life. You've never given your life to Jesus. And what are you waiting for? There is nothing better than giving your life to him. Or maybe you are here this morning and you won't say it, but you know it's true. You have been going through something. You have been struggling with something. And you feel as though, man, God just doesn't feel near to me. Well, I want you to know he is. Through everything you're going through, he is there with you. And maybe what you need to do this morning is you just need to spend some time talking to him. Lifting your voice to him. And if you need somebody to pray with, I'd love to pray with you. You can come up here and pray. In your seat, you can pray to him. But this morning, I would encourage you to remember this. God's love, his faithfulness endures. Even in the midst of the challenges of life, even in the midst of the hard times, his love and faithfulness endure. And we have all the reasons that Ethan had to believe that that's true. The heavens declare his praise. The heavens, there's nobody else like him. He is creator of all things and all things exist for him. His character, his love, his faithfulness, all of these things mark that when he speaks, he delivers his promises. But they're not always going to be in our timetable and they're not always going to be the way we think they should be. That God's love and faithfulness endures. This morning, if you have a decision that you need to make, if you need to spend time in prayer, please do so as we stand and we sing.